And some clever psychologists have managed to interview, as it were, each hemisphere separately and give them a personality inventory to fill out and give them the same personality inventory to friends and relatives. And what transpires is the left hemisphere has a remarkably high opinion of itself compared with what other people think, whereas the right hemisphere tends to be a little bit on the downside but is much closer to reality. Now, there is a difference, obviously, I've alerted you to this, between the reliability of the left hemisphere and the, its denial of reality. There are three ways in which um, I would draw your attention to this. The first is that if somebody has a right hemisphere stroke, they may have a paralyzed left half of the body, at least often a paralyzed left arm, possibly the whole of the left side of the body. But it's very common, more common than not, for them to deny that there is any problem. This doesn't work the other way around. If you have a left hemisphere stroke, 
the sufferer immediately is aware that something is wrong and is appropriately distressed about it, but not the other way around. And you can ask somebody who has a right hemisphere stroke to move their left arm, and of course they can't, but they say that. And, and you say, well, we didn't see anything move, did you? No, no, we didn't see anything move. And you bring the arm right round in front of them and say, move that. And they say, oh, that's, uh, that's my mother's arm, or it's your arm, doctor, or it's the patient next to me's arm. But never to accept that there was something wrong with the self. McGilchrist. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready in ages. Uh, Man. Ready, like, uh, oh, well, talk, we'll talk about it when we record it. Yeah, well, <clears throat> we kind of are now. Um, I I could not believe that I hadn't come across this guy because, like, when I was writing my book and just doing all this stuff, research about brain hemispheres, I just didn't didn't come across him once. It's incredible. Like, and I'm an internet addict, right? Like, I'm always looking at books and watching various people on YouTube. I don't think I heard him referenced once. I don't think I saw his book advertised once. Um, incredible. Because it, that, that book is like everything that I've been interested in. <laughs> everything. It, it contains everything. It's like the, the holy grail of brain hemisphere uh, literature. It's crazy. It, it's amazing. It's yeah. it's, not only is it well written and it has like a proper narrative that ties it all together, but it's every single uh, scientific paper and references there that you need to to look into it and know that it's real. It's not just some kind of new age left brain, right brain um, stuff. Hmm. It's like you know the guy's a, the guy's trained. You know he's a he, interesting guy actually. He's he started out as a literature. Um, uh, academic, I think. I think he was like a researcher at Oxford or Cambridge, one of those. And it was English literature. And he'd written a book called Against Criticism, which was, it's out of print. I don't think you can find it. I would mm. like it. But basically the idea was you can't, in that book he said somewhere that the idea was you, in the literature courses, they're destroying literature because they're trying to pick it apart into little pieces and then Try and analyze and decide what it means in pieces, but really, the like a as a whole, you need to understand it as a whole. As soon as you start taking it apart, you destroy it. Hmm. Like the same with a movie, you know, you have to watch the whole movie. You can't just take a bit and, and think you understand it. So that's very. It's the same point of view as he later has to do with the left brain and the right brain. Hmm. Um, so he started as a literature guy. Then he decided that you couldn't really understand life well enough without. Uh, to do with like physiology and 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 the body basically so he became trained as a doctor like medical doctor and then he became a psychiatrist and then he was a practicing psychiatrist for years and divided i think he was dividing his time writing this book you know it was like 10 years or whatever maybe it's 20 years it's a long time uh practicing a psychiatrist for half of the week and then uh, living on a scottish island <laughs> at my neck near my neck of the woods mm -hmm. uh the other half writing so interesting guy, the Scottish Islands is a good place for letting your right hemisphere run amok in a good way. Um, I know this through experience. Uh, and then being a psychiatrist in London, probably that kind of atmosphere is going to be trained and having to do the, the amount of what he would later call left hemisphere types, ways of knowing in order to pass exams and do that as for a living. Um, that's a good place to learn those things too. So you can kind of see in his life how he's 
left brain right brain thing is is um the balance between them is is working uh which is interesting to me so anyway when you read his book it's not like one of these dry neuroscience books with a stupid gimmick it's like one big idea and then they try and draw out two or three hundred pages and make it in his boring and boring stories and stuff mm. who actually knows what he's talking about but it also is you know a you know he appreciates poetry and metaphor and those things yeah. which is a big part of what the book is actually about yeah and uh when you read it it will just blow your mind both both minds <laughs> yeah again it's it's one of those crazy things no one ever talks about uh, the asymmetry of the brains and the fact that they're kind of split like that it just beggars belief because it, it's fascinating like it's absolutely fascinating yeah well, and the, implica- the book is so compelling you, oh, ca- totally. you can't go back it's like that's yeah. one of the books that really is you your view of life before the book and then your view of life after the book absolutely um yeah. and uh yeah it's funny that people don't more people don't know about it yeah bizarre interested yeah. in i think it's I don't Sorry, know. Kevin, you're just cutting out a bit there. Maybe your connection's a little bit iffy. We lost uh, a little uh, bit there. I was already, I was already interested in the left brain, right brain stuff, yeah. and brain. Uh, yeah, so I was interested in the brain, kind of brain, how the brain worked, and then try to change how it works uh, after you know reading and um, working with Christopher Hyatt stuff back in the day. And then the McGillicrous book came out in 2010, which I think Hyatt would have loved, mm. um, would have recommended if, if it had been out then, because a lot of the same things he was talking about earlier uh, relate to things that are mentioned in that book. Mm, very much, yeah. And, um, uh, and there are connections with some of the Eastern mystical stuff as well, obviously. And he, so I, I, I stumbled across it. Uncle, I don't remember. It was recommended along with some other thing that wasn't directly related, some other book. And then since then, I think it's mostly been adopted by people who who already think about themselves as mostly adopted by people who already think about themselves as right brain people, and they kind of more wishy washy, touchy feely mm. kind of people who <clears throat> don't really have a particularly strong reasoning ability. Yeah, but you know, like a, a lot of those people jumped onto it because it justifies some of the stuff that they're right about, but also covers up some of the stuff that I think they have a blind spot about. Not that McGillchrist doesn't, but they, they, a lot of his followers do. So I think it got kind of pulled into that uh, world for a while. Um, maybe it's taken more time for other medical or uh, scientific people to catch up with it. I'm not sure. Uh, seems to be philosophers catching because it's, it's actually an excellent introduction to a few, there's an excellent introduction to a few philosophers in it, in the context of the mm. left brain, right brain that that make the philosophers make sense in a way mm. that never did for me. Particularly, before. particularly Nietzsche, right? He speaks about him a little bit, at least what I've read so far. And Heidegger, yeah. Heidegger, Heidegger made no well, sense yeah. to me at all until I read this book. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, he also talks um, Heraclitus and Hegel is in it a little bit, but the whole book kind of is is. Hegel-ish, although I'm not really a fan of Hegel, mm, but it, um, I, I've not put the effort in to be a fan either. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm open to it, but it's not really my thing. Uh, but the, 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 the style of the book and the ideas he has regarding left brain, right brain kind of go with that too, make a bit more sense of him. 
there's loads of other philosophers and stuff pulled in. There's loads of neuroscience, obviously, and, and uh, the detailed science of that. But then there's a lot of philosophy in the middle third of the book, and then there's a lot of history and culture at the end of the, the last third of the book. So it's really like one of those books. I don't really want to try and, uh, you know, I don't want to try and summarize it because you kind of destroy it if you summarize it. If you, if you, especially this kind of book that is so big, it's like a big it's idea incredib- applied to everything. <clears throat> yeah, it's incredibly dense. It's a so huge it's, book anyway. I don't think you'd be able to summarize it easily, uh, quickly. That's for sure. It's massive. Exactly. And yeah. the type of people who are listening to this are the type of people who are already reading and thinking about things anyway, and they're, they they don't need a, a, a analysis, um, dumbed down summary to these things with the top 10 learnings. They just need to hear <laughs> us talking about it and going, okay, that's kind of plugs into what they're already thinking about and they can go and read it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I hate those, I hate podcasts and, and things that are a replacement for, for reading. Me too. Me too. Uh, you know, like there's plenty of old stuff that needs read. So you should really, ju- it should just be integrating it with stuff we already know and pointing other people in the direction. They can read it when it, when it's right for them. Mm-hmm. So but, what's your thoughts on the gold Christ? Then you've well, been reading them recently. Yeah. So, 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 so far. So I'm kind of in the middle of it. Um, but the first comment I'd make is that when I was doing research on this previously, I was looking up some technical papers um, and I, I had a few books, the names of which escaped me at the moment, which were a lot more kind of dry and factual. And um, one of the points I think he's making in his book is how that kind of diminishes neuroscience or what, what neuroscience is trying to tell us and in general what science is trying to tell us. And he sees that rampant reductionism and a reluctance to philosophize from the scientific knowledge that you get so so he argues that these days people practice science but because we're so left brain dominant quote unquote again it's not that simple but we tend to just look at things in their barest component parts as if we're a machine or something like that and there's a real reluctance he's saying that neuroscientists in general want to actually make claims based on the evidence that they've found, even to the point where when he said he wanted to go into this and start um, maybe looking at this problem of right and left brain uh, consciousness, that people discourage him because they said, no, you can't do that. It's going to destroy your career. You, you can't look at that. That's not, not serious. You know, this whole serious thing that people have in, in the scientific community, or they seem to anyway. So what I like about the book so far is that he's one of those rare instances where someone has gone and done research, has looked at the technical, biological, you know, hard reductionist scientific elements. And then he's taken that and pretty courageously just gone out on a limb and said, this is what I think the implications are. And I really appreciate people that do that. So few people do that these days. We just stick to the component parts. We just say like, oh, um, you know, this is what it does. Uh, and that's it. That's a utility. That's a materialist utility. And you can't say anything else about it because we just know this. That's it. And I'm not willing to say anything else about the matter. And if you say something about it, you're a pseudoscientist scientist or a quack or a lunatic. Um, but, you know, this book, he, he doesn't seem to care about that. Um, and I have appreciated that so far. Um, because, yeah, I think science is a bit lost in that respect today it seems to be all about the component parts 
the optimization, you know, like how can you optimize your day with science kind of thing. Um, and you look at these little tiny bits, but very rarely do popular scientists anyway focus on like the entire picture, which ironically ties into the exact subject matter itself, which is left brain being component reductionist right brain also having language and symbol abilities apparently which i didn't really realize but i guess having a grasp of the entire picture rather than um you know the way that we view things these days because of course he makes the argument that we're kind of we have an asymmetry towards being left brain dominant and that's particularly happened over the last five or six hundred years in his opinion and uh you know what i found interesting just just on that point is I've always considered high IQ to be almost like a kind of mental illness. <laughs> Most of the uh, people I've seen with a really high IQ, I'm like, man, this guy's like fucking off with the fairies. Um, really good at certain things, but just I think that as a society, we have this kind of definite problem with reductionism and we're not willing to take ourselves out of that. Um, and this book does a fantastic job, I think, of just contextualizing that whole problem that we face uh, due to this left brain dominance. Um, I don't know if, if you think along the same lines on that or not. Admittedly, I've not finished the whole thing yet, about halfway through. But um, that's what I've picked up so yeah, far. Yeah, the, the book yeah. explains a lot of the culture at the moment. You know, um, yeah. the... You will see it. Basically, if you read this book, you will see the ideas everywhere and it will never go away for you. You'll keep seeing it forever. That's the be the biggest recommendation I can give the, the book. Uh, in terms of left and bra right brain, the, the, there's, a like, there's a danger of when people read it that they end up thinking that it's right brain good guy, mm. left brain bad guy. Sure. Uh, which isn't what he's saying at all. He is an extremely well-developed left hemisphere way of doing things yeah. as well as the right hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, a lot of his followers and fans don't, in, in my view. Uh, so, <laughs> so like, the left the hemisphere does, is, you know, reductionist and break things into parts and all those things, but it's, ne it's a necessary part of a process. It's the middle part of a process. It's not meant to be... Um, it's not meant to be either or. Um, so what he, what he's really saying in the book is you're meant to go from, you know, you, you start at the right hemisphere way of um, knowing the world anyway. And, you know, he, he gives evidence for that. And then you, the left hemisphere way of knowing things is useful as a sort of middle stage for surviving and for living, for um, understanding things. And then you have to, then the healthy brain, the healthy person will bring that back to the right hemisphere to the whole again. So you're going from the whole, breaking it into parts and bringing it back to the whole again. But the whole will be bigger and more enriched and more useful now um, and just better because you have understand it more. But that's healthy if you do the process of right to left to right. What is the problem in the culture is people have got stuck in the left. Mm. The, the left way of doing things has become an end in itself. It's like we were talking about with language. It's just gone round in circles in words and not taking it back to the real world again. Um, so it's, it's, it's it, this also ties in well with Alfred Kurzybski actually, oh, yeah. um, his Absolutely. book, yeah. they, they really go together and, um, McGill Christ is aware of Kurzybski because I saw him do a talk at 
the Institute of General Semantics. I, I, he's not like an expert on it or a heavy reader of it or that, but I, he was invited to do a talk there because they've obviously saw the the uh, connections as well, and there is mm. big connections with it. Um, they're both similar guys. One night central idea applied to everything. Um, the type of books you need to read a minimum of three times and then spend a long time thinking about and integrating it with other stuff. Good books, in other words. Mm. That both take 10, 20 years to write, writing and thinking, you know, like all the best books. Yeah. So, um, well, so there's two ways I've kind of applied it. One is one is understanding what's going on in the culture bear, but going, oh, okay, so these things that are problematic where people are way too just analyzing, over-analyzing things and stuck in words. Okay, that's the left hemisphere ran amok. And and it's could I just say something on that just quickly, Well, because there was one sure. quote in particular that he just really struck me about the left brain that I'd not heard before. He speaks about the left brain as, as having like this enlarged capacity for optimism and it's really good at denying reality, really good at it. And he explains this by saying that... Um, there are people with stroke strokes and they're sorry, just one side of their brain has had a stroke. So the right side of their brain and they deny that there's anything wrong with them. So they may have limbs that don't work or it could be something really terrible going on with their body as a result of the stroke, but they'll deny it because yeah, there, yeah. there are people who've, who've only got only their left hemisphere is currently working. Yeah. So either it's from an operation or an accident or something. And yeah. then the, if you've only got the left hemisphere working, it, you know, for most people, it's the left hemisphere. You know, the ninety yeah. something percent. Uh, if you only have it working, it will it will behave and come to conclusions differently than only the right brain working will do. Mm. So this is how you know they really are different. They're physically yeah. different. They have there's two. You know, you can look at a brain. There's two big sections that are separated with a quite a small connection in the middle. They're separated for a reason. You know, he he uses the example of birds. You know, birds need two ways of knowing the world they need to have an alert they need to have one part of their mind that is aware of the whole so they can look they so while they're looking for food it's aware of the whole and can be vigilant for predators and they have another part of their brain that is um can focus on the individual parts and discriminate differences between things so it can find a piece of food in the you know like a piece of grain in the, in the ground in the in the stones in the ground or something uh, but you need both of these happening at the same time, and they conflict with each other. But you need both to survive and and to, to live. And so, brain uh, birds have um, the double hemisphere as well. Uh, so if one side isn't working, you will behave differently than mm. if the other side isn't working. It's like just factual. In the book, there's just hundreds of papers and examples of this. Uh, it's amazing that it's gone so long that they just mm. pretended this wasn't a thing. It's incredible. And just like it's incredible. <laughs> Partly it's justified because both sides of the brain are involved in doing everything, more, yeah. or, le more or less. Yeah. But they have, McGillicrest, really clear on that they, it's a different way of how they do things. It's not mm. what they do that's different, it's how they do them. Mm. So one's left to its own devices, it will do things in a different way than the other one. Yeah. Um, and the healthy person has the right relationship between both, which for McGillicrest is right to left and then back to right. Uh and that's the kind of process you go through, or, or you could say acting in the world, uh, transform, you know, silence in the real world, and then transforming, um, turning it into words and language, which then helps you do things again in, in the real world. So you know, if you could go silence to speech, back to mm -hmm. silence, mm -hmm. it would be another way of saying it, uh, or the whole to the parts to the whole. Yeah. 
so that yeah, the other way I like I've applied this is I apply that to the the posture work, constantly going back from the the hole to the parts, back to the hole with people. Um, and the other one is just in general, it's interesting and fascinating to look at how your own what which mode are you in at any point in time? Hmm. Are you really focused on some tiny little details and being neurotic about little details, or are you kind of just spaced out and taken in the whole? <laughs> Different times, you need one more than the other. It's not like there's a good guy, bad guy. That's the mistake lots of the followers make. I'm going to keep repeating myself about this. But they just really have this anti-left brain thing. And mm. almost always, those people don't have a very good left brain. <laughs> Tells you something. Yeah. But Gilchrist has an amazing left brain. You know, he's like hundreds of <laughs> qualifications in the books and everything. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, it's that's just, the, that's just the danger of it when people get it. Yeah, so and I, th- I, and I think the the opposite's yeah. true as well. Yeah, so people with a terrible left, uh, sorry, right brain tend to be <laughs> tend to be very uh, left brain centric. Uh, I've noticed. Online. Yes, I mean yeah. that's why he's 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 going against that in the book. You know, sure. the whole book is against that because that's the the current Dominant culture. Thing, so yeah. I, um, it's like the pendulum thing I've talked about before. It's like it was swung too far to left brain. He's having to address that, so it's it's obviously is a, is going to be more pro right brain what? <laughs> like in in the way he talks in the emphasis yeah and then um so people just it swung too far the other way and everyone's interested in you know like um letting things happen and embodiment and all that stuff and they're just trying to throw away the those pesky words in their head rather than learn to use them properly as proper tools in my view so i found myself now uh, focusing on the other way, try to develop a stronger, better left hemisphere way of doing things that is integrated back into the right hemisphere way of doing things. Sure. Yeah. Um, not that I've complete, not that I've succeeded, but that's what I'm working it's, on. It's a slippery slope. It kind of reminds me of Buddhist philosophy. Like, uh, I, I, you know, I always find that the Buddha is vindicated pretty much every time I read a book like this. I'm like, fuck, he was, he was right in his own, you know, ancient way. Um, but, I, but I often think like this is this kind of paradox with this as well, though. This is where there's a slippery slope because very often like the models of behavior that we come up with as people are constructed by, I guess you could say the left brain. They're like reductionist philosophies or ways of trying to fix a problem. And then if you act based on based on that then in in a sense you're still you're still acting as a result of what the left brain has deemed to be the right way to act so there's kind of like a paradox can you can you ever get out of that like i I was thinking about it the other day so so if for example i'm just trying to think of a, a good way to put it if if your philosophy uh, like some Eastern mystics, for example, is the denying that reality is real and it's simply an act of hallucination, for example, which is in vogue in some places. In order to think that, in order to have a theory that that's the case, that is itself a product of the left brain. And it's only half the story. So in trying to get away from the left brain by denying that exper- like experience is real or reality is real, that itself is a product of what's going on in the left, the left brain. And the whole time, as far as I can tell, the right brain, right brain is being discluded from the analysis. I think that's kind of like a possible danger of dealing with this kind of work, potentially. 
What do you mean this kind of dealing with it? Do you mean the, the, the book itself or you mean no, no. working on yourself? Yeah, working on yourself um, to, right. to clarify. In particular, these Eastern mystic paths that are at once kind of highly intellectual and, and reality denying in particular. When people get too attached to these models, I feel as if they, they themselves are a product of the left brain. So the, the one thing that they're trying to transcend even if they're not aware that that's what they're trying to do, they can become entangled in this kind of paradox that that all these things are a construction of the left brain itself anyway. It, yeah, and yes, yet and, they're and, designed to try and overcome that very problem. I hope that that yeah, makes you sense. Could, you could also yeah. say that's in depending on which tradition, but their understanding of the you know the limited self that they're trying to transcend it itself is a left hemisphere conclusion about yes. themselves. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a conception yeah. they have of themselves that's a left hemisphere thing, and you can't get out of that conception by understanding it more and being inside it and moving around it. You know, it's yeah. like you have to get outside of that entirely. Which is why the Buddha, in, the, in those old stories, I think that you, typically someone will come up and ask a question. And I'm sure there's other sages through history where this was the case as well. But he'd just constantly say, not that, not that. And it was like his answer all the time was like, no, no, not that. And admittedly, that had a purpose in a tradition and in a...
there's a danger here and that we should be careful as people who utilize these ideas that we're not really just introducing another level of of uh, reductionism or or what we're doing is not a product of the very thing we're trying to temper not overcome but temper just something i've taken exactly, away yeah so yeah far. i mean a lot of the a lot of the western buddhists are just absolutely obsessed with models yeah. and uh stages and that kind of thing yeah uh but also like different traditions and different practices appeal to a different type of person the type of person who's already more of a left brain or a right brain you, you also so, so if people are more into are, are more naturally kind of that kind of embodied feeling type of person or um they're going to go to they're more likely to go to practices like that if they're a kind of hyper analytical person they're most they're more likely to do something like mm. vipassana with all the 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 the, the maps uh which is what you find you find mm. all the silicon valley bros you know they all <laughs> it's all vipassana they tend to do because they're a hyper rationalist they're looking for the maps and the, and um things like that yeah. uh so they're more attracted to the, those things naturally and sometimes it's the right thing for them but for a lot of people they just get stuck because they're just going round in the circles like mm. you say it's just a, it's just another trap there's just new words and they can feel superior because they're doing some interesting thing or they can go to the retreat and maybe pick up a check at the end of it or something you know like they have all these different things that are that are really have they are really going on while they're kidding themselves on that they're some kind of um spiritual insight into reality or whatever however they say it now totally um whereas there's other practices which is completely the other side of the, the other side of this where it's all about the the you're you're starting from the wholeness and you're uh um trying to get away from those things so not that not that that's that's the person is the question is this the person the person is really just presenting their model of reality their left hemisphere's dreamt up model of reality and then the guys well it's not that it's not that you can just say not that to all of it because mm. what it is they're seeking is outside of those models yeah yeah that doesn't mean you can't use models to help you reach beyond the models but you can't do that inside each model <laughs> yeah exactly the model itself um, isn't going to be the thing that reveals the experience of truth. That, yeah. yeah exactly if i was a, if i was a mathematician i could go into like you know godel or something just now but i not but you know like you cut you have to you have to transcend the you have to just get outside of it you have to this is self-overcoming with people mm. like nietzsche you know i mean this is mm -hmm. what it is you're yeah. you're over not just self-overcoming but self-concept overcoming um and it it's a, in, you're stepping into the unknown you which is associated with right hemisphere way of 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 thinking and knowing yeah. the world you know you're open to the new things you're not trying to get everything down to something already known um, your the right hemisphere is more interested in the becoming rather than the become. So it's more about like the new things, the transformations, the time. Um, whereas the left hemisphere is trying to nail everything down into a system that all fits together and can be understood as like a whole and is somehow outside of time and space that you know it's kind of true forever. But the right hemisphere is not really like that. Yeah. Um, these are just meant to be tools. It's like you know you make a hammer to to use as a tool you don't then you know you don't start thinking the whole world is a hammer hmm. but people do do you when um, it comes to tips or stuff yeah yeah i agree uh, to to build on this I, I found that idea that the optimism and the denial of reality thing was just like <laughs> that was mind-blowing so i just never heard anyone describe it that way and then i looked at 
Western civilization, but I guess it's applicable pretty much to everywhere these days. And, and what are we? We're, we're optimistic somehow. <laughs> and we also completely deny reality uh, for the large part. Like people have all interesting ways that they deny reality. Um, in particular, I guess you could argue that the progressives who probably have an optimistic philosophy um, are the worst offenders at denying reality at the moment. Um, and I just found that fascinating. And I found it fascinating uh, that he made the argument that this is this tendency has become stronger over the last 500 or 600 years. And it's, it, it's incredible to me to think that everything that ails us, um, we, you know, on Twitter, we have all these stories and narratives and explanations as to why the things are a certain way. And you know all these models, and, and and again, there may be some truth to those things, but but in a way, it, it it it's really amazing that a lot of that could simply be derived from a physiological change in the human brain. It could just be that, and it could just be a fundamental misunderstanding of what we are um, and how we function. Yeah. So for people yeah. who haven't read the book, the the last section, he's applying the different ways the brain what the two sides of the brain works he's, he's applying this not just to the person himself or to philosophical ideas but he's actually showing how at different stages in, in cultures and then history it seems like they were more right brain dominant at one time and then more left brain dominant another time and you know he you know he picks times that that seem to show that you know like the 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 times you would look at you look at as the best times like the Renaissance or mm. um, you know certain time in ancient Greece or whatever you would uh, he like at their peak it's right brain left brain working in concert together the right way and then it usually is followed by too much left it's roughly what he's saying um, if I remember right mm. um, so he's it's very like what I would call psychophysical way of viewing the world where your what's going on in your body and how your body and your body mind is working is reflected and expressed in the world around you. You're not like the, it's the whole organism in the environment is all tra transforming each other at the same time. So if, if you were in a left brain dominant culture, which we are now, and you know, that's what the book is about, partly about, you would expect to see things like, um, overconfidence in technologies to solve everything, uh, de denial of <laughs> uh, mortality, yeah. um, obsession over details, uh, uh, just treating, ev treating everything like a machine, including people, um, treating the world, the environment like a machine, like to be, you know, just to extract and use, uh, you know, like, Philosophers have dealt, you know, there's various philosophers have dealt, dealt with these issues as well. But the McGillchrist thing is interesting because he's tying it back to the two different ways of the brain. So there's like it's a real factual basis to this stuff. It's not just metaphors about the way the world works uh, based on your preference. There does seem to be some kind of um, foundation for for these the different things you'll see in different cultures, and you know, different cultures have a more emphasis on one or the other. Different cultures, civilizations at different stages of the civilization will have more emphasis on one or the other. And his kind of thesis is that we've gone way too far the left direction now in the West. And 
it's kind of a self-fulfilling thing now. It's kind of gets it's um uh it's like in a feedback loop with itself now, and it's pretty hard to get out of. Hmm. Yeah, he talks a lot about uh, environmental destruction in particular, and um, yeah, I guess us as part of that environment, it's uh, difficult to separate the two things. And yeah, as you say, there is probably going to be an inevitable conclusion to that which i think a lot of people that i've read tend to agree with with that um so like another yeah. thing is the, the the right brain is more associated with kind of a pessimistic view of of life you know left, you were saying left brain mm. more optimistic but the right brain is more like actively pessimistic and <laughs> um, you're more likely to have negative emotions um sadness or you know these things are more connected with the right brain mm. um so it, like uh, uh, one thing he said was he's talking about which how emotions are connected with the or integrated with the right brain or left brain, and there's there's one emotion that's more um, connected with the left brain than the right brain. All of them are, are more to the right brain apart from one, and if anyone can guess what it is, it's it's uh, anger. So this is why people who are ultra rationalist people or ultra progressive people when they don't get it their way or think the world isn't agreeing with them, they get extremely angry about it because that's the emotion that's tied in with the side of the brain, the way of knowing the side of the brain they're using most. So you, you know, like it's the, you know, the autist temper tantrums uh, <laughs> is one thing. The, you know, like um, <laughs> the, the opposite extreme is the overly right brain person who's just swamped by emotions and can't function in the world and can't do anything logically and it's just totally spaced out in that there's there's it has its own set of problems mm. but as i say the book is kind of we're already in the left culture so he's trying to left brain culture <laughs> where people start misunderstanding what i'm saying but he's also in the already in the left uh, brain kind of culture so he's having to work against that and um i find myself just at this point uh, emphasizing more, more the other, the left again, the left hemisphere again now because I'm trying, I'm having to rebel against the rebels a little mm. bit because the pendulum swung too far the other way. I think I've said that in every single podcast now. <laughs> mm. Do, does he have much to say about like what an example of a right brain society might be, like a right brain dominant one, and, and what kind of problems that kind of civilization would have? Um, he. So like when he's when when he tries to show which cultures are and aren't right brain or left brain, he's he analyzes things like uh, the art, how they put the art. So it's certain because your left brain for most people, your left side of your brain controls the right side of your broad body, and your right side of your brain controls the left side of your body. Hmm. So like he analyzes, there's certain other people have done analysis of art and uh, which side of the face is more prominent and stuff at different times. And he's kind of correlated that to other things that are more right-brained. So, like, they're they're emphasizing the, based on the way they show the bodies, they're emphasizing one of the side of the brain more. Um, the relationship to manis makes a difference and things like this. Yeah. Um, the Renaissance, I think, is one of the ones he, he talks about where they have, you know, there's the explosion of art and um, uh, the creative uh, visual stuff. Um you know, treating the whole spiritual, like it's spiritual ideas, that kind of thing. But also it's not just, um, it's not just like random explosion of emotion. It's, it's, it's constructed and molded into very, very specific and, um, 
skillful arts that you have to be developed step by step. You know, you don't just, you know, there's a, a lot of work and training and craft and technology goes into these things as well. So periods like that where you have the both happening together, both sides of the brain working together, you would just see a creative explosion. I, I think it's more complicated than this. Mm. Um, <clears throat> uh, and what, and what, what about the circumstances that would lead to an explosion like that? Does it go through, like, like I mean, what changed? Was it ecology or the, there must have been something in the environment that I, I know that it coincides with, um, you know, warming periods, apparently those kinds of explosions. But I just wonder, you know, physiologically, I, I wonder what that's doing. Yeah, I think yeah. he says in it that, he kind of says, look, the change happens too quick for it to just be like a genetic thing so that the these people have different brains, so different from the other brain. Um, I don't know enough about that to know what, how quickly those things can change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that they're just a tipping point where, where a certain... <laughs> certain types of bodies are slightly more right-left and then the... Uh, you know, one of the things in the book is the left. Once the left starts, it it's, gets into a feedback loop with itself, and it's um, it uh, you know, it's like uh, increases its own power, and it becomes harder to get out of. So there may just be a stage where that just, it just triggers that. But it, it, I think it's probably it will be related to the environment around people. Yeah. Um. So like in different environments, you need to be more logical and planning ahead and. St- step-by-step thinking in other places you don't need to be because there's food all the time there's food all year round you know you just go around collecting it you can be spaced out and wonder about uh you can be spend all your time thinking about myths or whatever you know like like it's different than if you're having to really plan your food and all this stuff now because you'll starve later in in the year if you don't so those kind of things would emphasize left brain more than right brain uh uh, you know, this is um, uh, you know, like in the the you'll see in the. I don't know, is this strictly true? But the in the, the northern more northern myth mythologies, they tend to have like a start and finish, to the world and mm. things. You know, there's like a beginning and an end right, point. Rock. And yeah. then in the sort of the older African mythologies, it's more just kind of it just goes on and on and on forever. You know, it's sure. like it's a more right-brained kind of mythology. Yeah. And the the northern is more a left brain, so that would tie in with environment for definite. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. I don't know what McGulchris says. I can't remember, but he—that's just me speculating now. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess part of this is we're gonna we're gonna tie this stuff in with you know maybe methods to to power down this tendency that we all have. Uh, does he in the book at any point go through like does does he have a methodology? Because you mentioned he had, he had classes and. Um, I, I assume, therefore, that he had some sort of maybe not entirely rational method of of trying to get it all under control. Did he did he promote certain per, uh, perceptual exercises, or is there some way that you you can break out of this tendency towards uh, reductionism? Did- I think I heard him talk about once a uh, uh, exercise he was doing about try to focus your attention on one small spot while also at the same time keeping your uh, alertness of the surroundings at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of training the left and brain to work together. Uh, I don't know, does he do that formally or not? But I remember him mentioning it somewhere. And, you know, like, 
he's getting bombarded by people where they're saying, oh, this is like this and you know, this, you know, with different practices. Mm-hmm. So he'll be aware of a lot of the, the things that, uh, that seem to display this. Um, he, you know, I saw, I saw him do a talk once years ago in England and he was connecting it all to uh, Taoism, you know, the yin yang, uh, uh, connecting two sides of the brain with that made a bit of sense actually. Mm. So the, the left brain in that one would be the white and the right brain, you know, the, 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 the yang is the left brain and the yin is the right brain. Yeah. Um, so like the right brain's more about the, you know, the unseen and the darkness and the, uh, new, new things. And, um, whereas the left brain and about sort of more passive, you know, like right brain way of viewing the world is more passive. You're just taking in what's about left brain is more active. You're doing things and manipulating the world. And, you know, your left hemisphere is really interconnected with your right hand for for most people is your tool, your hand for using tools. So manipulating the world and the left brain go together for most people and um, just kind of perceiving the world and feeling the world and being in the world and the right brain kind of go, go together. So it's interesting that a lot of, uh, I noticed when I was young, I don't know if it's true or not, but I noticed the more artistic people in my school tended to be left-handed. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know, is that because their brains slightly wired differently? So they made them more like that. That's anecdotal. I mean, I'm, I don't know. McGillicuddy probably actually says this somewhere, but I don't remember. Yeah. Um, it covers so much stuff in the book. I don't even remember what's in that book and what's not. And I don't remember what's my own idea and what's his, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is good. Cause yeah, yeah. you know, that's how you make, make yeah. a book your own. So you make it your own. You've made it organic. And this is why I hate. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why I hate these. I hate the simplified summaries of books that you get because they treat people. Well, first of all, they dumb it down and treat people like they're idiots, but it's, they also act like this is the first book they're ever going to (laughs) read. Like here's a book and he does this and this and this, the person, if if they're smart and anyone listening to this is obviously smart, but not too high in IQ because you already said they're idiots. (laughs) Um, But anyone listening to this is, already reading a bunch of books has already had ideas they're working on and they'll fit this into that thing anyway they'll integrate it into their whole so like that's a more right brain right hemisphere kind of way of approaching reading anyway um but not too right brained or you'll just think you can just jump from book to book and just connect random ideas together and they're not really connected Mm. you need a you need the left hemisphere discipline of reasoning things through and seeing how things connect and discriminating between things and going okay that these two things are different. Um, these are the things that work for practical purposes. These are the things that don't. You know, you need that kind of stuff as well. Um, it's important to but, notice uh, as well. He's not against reality, so he's not actually denying the existence of reality, which is sets him apart a little bit from other people in the current age who tend to go. You know, like maybe the Donald Hoffmans who we were discussing last week, who tend to say that oh, reality is almost completely hallucinatory and illusory. He's not quite at that point from what I'm picking up. So he's more talking about how maybe in a Korzybski kind of sense, a reality is an abstraction. It's not that we're not seeing reality. We're just seeing a very, you know, segmented view of it. We're not seeing the entire thing. That does kind of separate him from a lot of, you know, neuroscientists I've noticed are around today. I think it's Yeah, McGulchrist has a nice concept in the book called... uh, betweenness 
So mm. rather than saying there's no external world, rather than being like a you know it's all internal, it's all like you know idealist, or that it's you're just like completely materialist, physical world only. Rather than saying that, he's kind of saying he calls it betweenness, where it's the interplay between whatever we are with whatever is out there. So yeah, it ties in with Krasinski and the like. Where Krasinski's talking about models or like uh, maps, the maps, the left hemisphere is what makes the maps. Mm. Um, the right hemisphere is what deals with the territory, roughly. Yeah, yeah. So, but you need a but a map is useful and works if it's this has a similar structure to the to the ex, to the real world, whatever it is, um, and you know it's a good map if it works. Uh, you but the problem is everyone's just going round in circles with the maps and arguing about which map is best and not trying to not actually trying to use the map. Mm. So if the places are in the wrong order, it's not a useful map. Yeah. Or if it's a map of the, if it's a good map, but it's not what you need, what you need here, so you're you're using the wrong set of symbols for to deal with reality here. So you, um, so yeah, I mean, it's really similar to Kurzybski in that sense, and um, there's many, there's many books and and people have have talked about the same two, as McGulchrist talks about as well. They have talked about the two different ways of knowing. With their own concepts and ways of talking about it, but he's the first person to go. No, there's a real basis to this. It's the brain. Hmm. But yeah. even that's not hmm. as simple as that. It's not a materialist brain. No, it's the betweenness brain. Yeah, so, yeah, you can't yeah. say so, like way. your brain is. All, yeah, it's it's the middle it's already way. In the world, relating to the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a middle way, same as the Buddha, middle way, which I like. It appeals to me. Because if it if it wasn't the middle yeah, way, I th- I then. Think then it I would just it be the left be, yeah, brain way, right? <laughs> Which is the thing you're trying to avoid. If if it wasn't the middle way, it would just be the reductionist left brain way. You're just falling into that trap again, yeah? If if you overanalyze things, um, then you're just falling back into that trap. So so yes, the only to, to, to talk about I was just gonna say the only way not to do that is this concept that you're just talking about now, this middle path of what did you call it? Beingness. Was it beingness? Or you know, be- he, call, he, call, he calls it betweenness. Betweenness, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Betweenness, yeah. I was going to call my website that years ago, but yeah. the domain name had gone. Oh, so then I went okay. for, I ended up <laughs> choosing psychophysical, but it was, I was going to take betweenness. Yeah. Um, the other thing is you, you can go too far either way. So like if you take the mystical stuff, so I don't know enough about Buddha and um, Buddhism really to, to tie in to Mughalkist, at least not here. I would have to think about it. Mm. But the but some there are mystical stuff I would say is too far right brain. So and and it's visible that they're too far in the right brain. As an example, there's the some of the Indian stuff where it's literally just a guy in his pants sitting on the side of the street. Uh <laughs> he's gone so far in the right brain and living in the moment and is completely you know like it's doing nothing or the guy in the cave in bliss, you know, this is like stuck in right brain mm-hmm. um, and not doing anything with it. Um, the opposite is the, you know, the hyper, like the guy's trying to fix everything, the technocrat, and he's trying to fix everything, and he's got a system for everything, and everything's simple, and if everyone will just do it this way, in this order, then everything will be fine. You know, that's the... How to wake up the in the morning, a thread. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you'll, like, in the sort of self-development internet culture, you'll see the left brain, right brain oh, stuff totally. everywhere. You'll see yeah. one group of people are like, just <laughs> let it happen, man, live in the now, 
um, you know, like get out of your own way and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the other ones who are like, here's the 10 step system, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're both wrong. And they're a little bit right. They're both a little bit right also. So like it's it's the balance thing. Again, McGillchrist gets this right in my view. Not so much all of his followers. Hmm. Hmm. So so did, does he talk about physiology and how physio physiology ties into regulating uh, the brain itself and, and how, how we use it? So for example, I'm just trying to tie it into what we're doing. And like I know, for example, how breathing uh, would theoretically change that but i'm just wondering from his perspective does he offer any thoughts on on that in particular physiology and i don't remember but he, he definitely talks about how the right brain is more the more sort of embodied it's um the right hemisphere is more interconnected with those things and uh the sort of so like one way of looking at the left brain right brain thing is the right brain is more in the world physiological feelings and sensations and that kind of thing and whatever the new arrival of sensations and perceptions is uh so you're in the moment you're inside the moment whereas the left brain is more like a detached you're stepping back outside of it to take a view of it uh you know like to look at the map you know you're no longer looking in the hill you know you're lost in the wilderness you're no longer looking at the hills you're now looking at the map mm. um so he I've forgotten what you asked. <laughs> what did you ask? Is, does he does he connect it to the physiology, the body? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, yeah. He he talks a, a little bit about that, I think. And um, his his general thing is that the that the a more right hemisphere way of doing things is as those things connected more. So mm. I mean, with the, if you take breathing, there are old tantric exercises or or one of the traditions where you breathe through one nostril and not the other yeah what is this doing this yeah. is this is uh, this is literally making you change dominance of the sides of your brain mm. so like you know depending on which nostril one side of the brain runs the other side of the body um so when you're breathing through separate nostrils for long enough it'll change the dominance of your brain this all this stuff can be measured now mm. but they knew about this thousands of years ago mm -hmm. um he doesn't talk about that. I'm remembering that. Hmm. Uh, so there's loads of there's loads of things here you could get into. There's 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 a sort of modern Western Buddhist guy who talks about uh, like there's the I can't remember the words he uses. He kind of distinguishes between attention and awareness. So like attention is focused on a point, specific things, and awareness is sort of the, the wider yeah awareness. the wider thing yeah. Um, so like these, that kind of wider awareness is kind of more associated with your, your body and your awareness mm -hmm. and here in the moment right now. Um, but, the but one of the most interesting things were that was for me anyway, was the, the fact that the, most of the emotions are tied in with the right brain more apart from anger. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're automatically going to be feeling more and, sensing differently if you're right if your right brain is dominant at any time mm, mm. compared to your left again you need both at different times yeah sometimes I'm, you need both at the same time yeah. like i was saying earlier with the birds you know you need to be alert and i think that's what mcgillicus was talking about in that exercise where you're you're training both the alertness and the and the focusing on a specific thing at the same time and if you look at tra the traditions they do they they, mm. they have these in practices 
you focus on, you know, like exact, you're looking at the same sensations over and over and over again, you know, really focused, narrowed in, narrow focus on that. Or you might be, the other traditions, it's more like opening up into a, like a higher thing or, or they, they use love. Some of the, the practices is about love because, well, what's love? It's opening up into a bigger thing. That's more right hemisphere. You know, mm. you don't need to, it's not like, uh, it's just like factually more right hemisphere. It's not like metaphorical love, man. It's like, it's <laughs> just opening up. It's it's opening out rather than closing down. Yeah. Um. So, so I do notice he has a chapter on the self. And unfortunately, I didn't quite get to that um, prior to this. That, that uh, topic fascinates me. Um, in, in my own model of things, that particular concept is pretty important, I think. I think it's a good summary of at least partially what I think is important, which is, and we're going to get onto Hyatt soon because Hyatt, this is where I got it from. Hyatt thinks that uh, powering down self-conception is an important thing for humanity to try and do. Um, and that's, of course, tied up with the misguided perception we have of what ourselves are. Um, I haven't quite got to that chapter. I always thought that selfdom, like linguistic self-referential self, and I know it's more complicated than this. I don't want people in the comments to say, oh, that's not how it works. But I always associated it with symbol use and language in particular. Um, but I do know it's far more complicated than that. And we already spoke about the d default mode network, I think, in a previous episode. Does he go into that? I I'm desperate to to know, but I, I haven't got to that part yet. Um, and how that fits in with the left and right brain. Do you remember? Might be a bit, uh, bit long ago. I don't, I don't remember uh, if it's specific, like... I don't remember what's in the book and what I've seen him mm. talk about in videos, you know, where like in interviews and stuff where he's asked this type of question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know he definitely talks about, it and he, uh, he talks about the soul as well. You know, the soul is, a, is a right hemisphere way of thinking about mm. this and it's dismissed by the left because where is it? You can't see it and nail it down and make it explicit, you know? So the left wants to make everything explicit and defined and separate from everything. Uh, some things aren't like that. Yeah. Some things don't work like that. And um, uh, the right brain wants to is more about the implicit and things that are already in there. And the kind of left, the purpose of the left brain is to unpack what's in the right brain, but then send it back to the you know back to the right brain, which is where people go wrong. They're not doing that. Um, I think in his second book he talks more about this kind of stuff. But I haven't read his second book. Mm. I just read his other book um, multiple times. Second book's more, I think, philosophical and goes into this kind of so stuff, I, I think. found something here. So he says, I believe the essential difference between the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere is that the right hemisphere pays attention to the other. And sorry, this is just in, in terms of self. So the right hemisphere pays attention to the other where <clears throat> whatever it is that exists apart from ourselves with which it sees itself in profound relation. It is deeply attracted to and given life by the relationship, the betweenness that exists with this other. By contrast, the left hemisphere pays attention to the virtual world that it has created, which is self-consistent, but self-contained. 
ultimately disconnected from the other, making it powerful, but ultimately only able to operate on and know itself. So yeah, I think that does tie in with what I think about the self, actually. Just reading that paragraph there. That's interesting. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. So carry on about that, about what you think about the self. Yeah, so so I think, um, so I guess just, just thinking through what he said there, I, I think that virtual the virtual model that the self creates is very important and we've spoken about reductionism and how an obsession with reductionism usually we use concepts and language to reduce things in our everyday life and that's intimately tied up with our self perception or or what i guess he's describing here is this left left brain notion of uh selfdom which is all the things that we create and consider ourselves separate from everything else. It seems to be what he's saying here. Admittedly, I've not read this chapter yet. <clears throat> so I, I've always thought that that tendency in us is, first of all, it's self-destructive, usually self-destructive if it's out of control. Because we don't, again, it's one of these things that we don't really understand. We don't understand what's going on around us. We don't understand how we're processing the world. And we don't understand what our what our self is really for, and and so a lot of psychological pain, a lot of delusion, a lot of all these different things, I think, are intimately tied up with that element of selfdom. Of course, you have to be a little bit careful, right? Because because the self that's a huge word that could mean like a million different things. But what I, I guess what I'm talking about is this <clears throat> language based. Um, self that feels separate and and what I'm arguing from my experiences with with meditation and various other things is that realizing that that is in some sense I guess a reductive illusion it is kind of illusory it's it's a rather late um, feature that's evolved uh, in us and I do think that having it is clearly important that's why it it evolved right but i do think that it creates a lot more trouble for you um not a lot more but it creates a lot of trouble for you as well and so like a lot of meditation work that i undertake for example is just opening myself up to the <clears throat> to the right brain experience i guess you could say which sounds a bit cheesy and the the aim of that is powering down that language-based reductionist self because it is entirely possible to notice that it's ephemeral it's not really there like we think it's there it's kind of a an ephemeral insubstantial uh not a hallucination more like a mirage you're kind of like in a desert and the more you look at it, the you know, you get closer and closer and you realize it's not actually there. I think that's the best metaphor to describe what's going on with that, that left brain self, in my opinion. So I think that this all ties into everything that we're talking about here. It ties in with this left brain dominance, this uh, optimism and inability to accept reality. I think in some way of speaking, the way to overcome that is to 
literally power down that uh, element in ourselves uh, to to consciously uh, question it and not not overcome it, but just to notice what it really is, I think is critical because it is fairly insubstantial. And I, yeah, actually, I think the more I think about it, I do think the mirage metaphor is very good because the more you look for it, you, you just realize it's not there. And I actually think that that is probably the primary goal of most meditation practice. The more I think about it, but I, I do if you think take one. Sorry, just if quickly. You think one plug, sorry. Yeah. So so I do think that, and and I guess we'll get on to Hyde a bit later. But he always spoke about, uh, well, at least Calvin told me this. That that the he thought that the idea of the self, or not the idea of it, but that the experience of the self that people have is actually holding us back to a large degree. And the reason it's holding us back is because we don't really understand what it is. And the best way to understand what it is, is to do some sort of introspective practice where we can look, look at it for what it is and, and try to really understand what it is. And from what I'm reading in this book, that's intimately tied up with this left brain uh, tendency towards reductionism, tendency towards modeling and concepts. And all these things, I think, are tied up with this experience of the self. We tend to get attached to these things. And we tend to mistake, as you were saying before, the map for the territory. And I think that all these elements are tied together. They're all kind of the same thing, the same phenomenon. And that there are actually methods that are very ancient of noticing what's really going on. And in a sense, then you are powering down that experience in a way that you you start to control it rather than it controlling you, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so like, say, say you're doing a specific practice that is about, um, you know, like your self-inquiry you know you're mm. trying to see what's this i this me thing inside me what is it you know so mm. you're starting to you know you're meditating on this you're looking at this contemplating it uh at some point you're just trying to look at what's happening about how the images and the words are arising in your mind or this you know you think about you know i used to do this one a lot you know you just say i you get the feeling of i i am and then look where is this where did it happen mm. what, what you know what happens is when you're looking at that is you you find yourself thinking about that so you're trying to see what the self really is, but you're now back in your old limited self. You're you're inside that model. You're thinking about it, although you think you deceive yourself into thinking you've now transcended it because you're thinking about it. But really, you're just it's it's self going round in a circle. So like you, you I kind think of you need can. To... Yeah, I think that you know that 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 is itself the very challenge of meditation, and you see that in all the traditions. They all talk about that. Um, uh, so yeah, there's definitely a very real capacity to fall back into it, but I don't so think th about like an aha moment. Like, yeah. like say when you're made, sometimes you get like, if you have an aha moment, so you're struggling with something, you're thinking about this idea, you're just going round and round in circles and yeah. you're getting really frustrated and you're trying to piece it together. And it doesn't make sense. Then all of a sudden you have this, ah, now I get, you know, you just get it all in one go. Hmm. 
you transcend those old models and now you have a new model. That's what has mm. happened in an aha experience. You suddenly get it. You see it differently. You're outside of the old map. Uh, you have a bigger map or you're outside of that model. And it, that's a very experiential, intuitive, whole-bodied, whole environment thing that just happens to you in, in a moment of insights or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then after that, then you can spend ages unpacking that and reasoning it out and making sense of it. But the actual experience was not done inside the old models. Your old under so if this is in meditating, your old your aha moment would be like an the an awakening. Mm. So you've just popped outside of your old the old struggle. And you think when people are meditating, they're struggling all the time. They're mm, fidgeting, usually. they're yeah. their mind is sore, they're going around in their head, they're having all these emotions. It struggle, 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 and then one day up oh, pop and they just have this they step outside of it or yeah. transcend I, it, however you want to say I it. Think and um the best way same to, thing. It's yeah. the same process that's happening to do with overcoming your self-concepts, the same process, I think, when you have a scientific breakthrough and you have an aha moment, when you finally get a joke that you couldn't get the joke and then you suddenly get the joke. Yeah. Uh, in all these things where it just happens all at once and you've mm. transcended the old limitation. Uh, you may have a, now a new limitation that needs transcended. It doesn't mean you're now yeah. got it all sorted out. I think, but it's I, think it's a little, yeah, I think it's a little bit different, though. So I, I think that's that there is a space and there is a, a realization that is always there that doesn't require any any overcoming or any you can you can derive a new model from it but nevertheless if you go and meditate you can have the experience all the time it's always there because it's the same realization there's no levels it's just that experience oh you mean like the silent yeah. awareness yeah. silent knowing thing behind which, which is what i'm saying so i think that place may be that's that's the place that you can rest that's that is not beyond you know experience it is it is experience it is just reflecting experience that's the mental space that you're in at that time so it's not really that you're you're overcoming something or you're having an epiphany or a realization. It is just always there. And it's just, we just normally don't notice it. And that if we do, you know, this is a, this is a good analogy for right brain, left brain. It that, is. That yeah, goes with yeah. the right brain. And then, yeah. so you could say from the universal mind's point of view, that the, the existence and the whole world is that's its left hemisphere making models trying to make sense of the fact that it's of what's happening as the the whole right hemisphere behind it. It's not mm. the same, but it's like similar. Yeah, similar. And I, and I think the more that you do that, the more that you're able to to access that space, you, you tend to develop a more reasonable view of what selfdom is in the sense that you become less attached to things that you used to get attached to a lot. And I think it's actually a, a very good method for, you know, that's why I say powering down the self. I think it's literally what's happening. And I see that as a useful tool to really not, not getting rid of the left, the left brain reductionism and conceptualization and stuff like that, but keeping it under control better, which is for me, the, the key to integrating all these different things is having techniques where you can go there and then exercise your 
again, it's not the best way to put it, but exercise your will over these various things that are happening within you as much as you can. Um, and, and again, I do think the self, that, that type of self-reference, uh, you can have that experience where, where it becomes less influential over you and you become less reactive in general and you become more able to determine what you want to do where you have more options available to you at any one time and yeah, yeah, I, yeah in a way i think where people get confused is i think that there's 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 levels like i've just um transcended another level so now there's another level to go on to and another level to go on to but that that in itself is the actual pro that's that's the very thing that that's a tendency you're trying to overcome um, but what I noticed after 15 years of doing that and finally having a, a realization that was partially dialectically induced, ironically enough, but partially sitting on a cushion, um, I was like, I can just, I can just be here and I don't need to impose anything on this space. This is just where I get to rest. And when you're in that space, all the things that we consider ourselves, so all the sensations, all the, the words, the thoughts, the feelings, all the various things that arise within us, you can just sit there and calmly observe these things from a distance because they're just a part of experience. And what you notice is there's no homunculus pulling levers inside your brain. There's no central point to it all. It's just this cloud of sensation cloud of energy that's spontaneously arising all at once and your awareness is a bit like a mirror it's just reflecting the stuff that's happening and there's there's no space for a self in that there's no self there you can't find one i'm not denying that there is some kind of greater self like my body and the fact it's put all together and all that stuff. And I do seem to have so, some sort of re self-referential experience, but I'm sp speaking more specifically about that language-based self, that that kind of goes away. But there's nowhere to go from there. That's, that's it. There's no other level. That's just a place where you can be and you can relax and you can observe and you can watch. And the more that you do that, the better you, you get at that. I find the effect is being you get less hung up with stuff, just in general. You get less attached to things because you're like, well, that's just some shit that's happening. Like, I didn't make that happen. Like, that's just something that's happening. That's experience coming up over which no matter how I model it, no, no matter how much I reduce it to its component parts, that's not of myself and that's that's the inherent illusion with the left brain and the uh, reductionist self is it, it it doesn't really have much to do with anything as far as i can tell from my meditation uh practice it's it's kind of just grabbing onto stuff it's it'll like grab onto something that just is happening it's just stuff that's happening and It'll grab onto some bits. It'll put together a narrative and a story and do all this stuff. 
And then if people don't have any of this knowledge or any of this uh, uh, meditational experience, they tend to mistake that for absolute reality. They mistake it for something that's coming out of them in in some sense, like a, a self, how would you say, like a self-created um, experience. But I guess what I'm saying is, I think that that is illusory. And what meditation should teach you is about the illusoriness yeah, well, of that I mean, experience. It's, it's not that it's not that it's not real. It's that your understanding of what it is 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 illusory. It's different. You know, like there there is an yeah. experience that, of thinking. That's what that I mean about the mirage thing. Yeah, the mirage metaphor um, is a very good one. So it's like going into not, a, but it isn't a separate thing. It's not there like that. Yeah. Um, maybe just a phase that you have to go through as a human. You have to develop this, and then it's it's a natural phase. You know, the child needs to, you know, has to think of himself as separate from other people in order to function and become a person. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and then maybe part of this process is later in life you're meant to get rid of that or overcome that. Yeah.
yeah i agree it's probably it, it's definitely an evolved feature but but it is also the cause of pretty much everyone's pain is because <laughs> they don't really they don't really understand that it's largely impersonal it's a kind of impersonal experience in some way and it's it's as i said it, the the metaphor of it being a mirage is a really good one that's really spot on in what i experienced to be the case so you, you think it's there all the time you look off into the distance and you you're like, oh, thank, thank God there's, there's some water over there. <laughs> and the closer you get to it, the closer you observe it, it just disappears. There's nothing there. And, and that experience, I think, is useful. And I also think that it ties into what this guy's saying. Um, he's, you know, making an argument that the dominance of that feature, even if that's just one of the features that he's talking about, is, is one of the problems with uh, our civilization at large. And, and I agree, if you look at what ails people today, everything is so self-referential. It's so narcissistic. It's like, I'm this, this is my identity is this. Like they're just constantly fucking talking about what their identity is. <clears throat> Whereas I make the argument, they should be talking about what their identity is, is not, uh, to be honest, because it's just, there's not a whole lot to it. It's fairly insubstantial and a lot of the stuff, a lot, a lot of the pain that it causes us as individuals is completely unnecessary and you can train yourself not to be affected in the same way that people who are untrained are affected by it. So those are just some thoughts trying to tie together um, his, his idea or what I think his idea is. Are you there? Yeah, well, one thing yeah. that, okay, well, for me, the, the betweenness, again. the meditation stuff gave me an example of what he was meaning by betweenness and changing how you relate to the external world or to the other, like you said earlier, Yeah. is before meditation, <laughs> you know, in general, I was doing tons of different things, so it's, yeah. it's not one thing. But before that, and again, this is only something I realized after reflecting back, but before mm. that, my awareness of myself was very, to make it, embodied sounding uh the awareness of myself felt very tightly inside my head behind my eyes behind my nose mm. kind of there's an area there where i was living and then there was the outside world separated on the outside after i'd you know made some progress in meditation at one point that just flipped and my the general feeling of where i was spatially instead of it being behind my head is now was like more outside and the things were happening outside of me. Mm. So like my, my self feels more like that now. So it's the things going on around me more in my environment, the between it's really, it's the betweenness. It is. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. before it was an invented pretend solidity of the self behind my head. And mm. obviously if you keep looking, I am where I am, like it isn't there like that, but the, this is very spatial for me, a very spatial, change mm. so like i was in there like clenched in behind your head in behind your by my in behind my face for some people it's more kind of in the chest they have it mm. more in their chest or sometimes stomach depends on the person um and then the meditation then it was like it was more involved the outside and it just like my mind got bigger is the only way of saying it you know like it's, a, it's just a bigger version yeah it's basically on the outside that really ties in with right hemisphere yeah. stuff in between this and 
having a different relation with what's going on outside you rather than that self-referential going around in circles, which really was like a sort of tense, like a tight tension ball of tension in your face, which is made up by you. Yeah, yeah. You you added all your thinking, created that over time, and and um, mm. and then it's kind of you're releasing. And when you get out of that, it's like re- relief. You suddenly have all this energy. Holy shit! I was using all mm. this energy just to tell all these little stories to myself and to make myself separate. When you know, in one way, I'm not separate at all, and in another way, well, I'm having a separate stream of experiences through time than other people, obviously. Mm. Mm. But they're um, interconnected and. Uh, um, depend on each other in a in a way that I didn't realize before because I was trying to tell myself that it was a separate thing from it. So, yeah. like in total practical terms, when that happened, I suddenly found myself more able to to speak to people face to face without social tensions and things like that mm-hmm. yeah. because I was no longer referring everything back to me in my head. Oh, this awkward what I say next on this guy's doing it. like oh he's doing like I just went away. I'm just what's happening is happening. Yeah. You're more outside of your head. Um, so and this is ties in i've heard a lot of people describe similar things yeah um it's not like you know it's you don't even need to be doing meditation really this some people already have this i think yeah you think uh, you know yeah. yeah i think a guy in the a guy in the woods look watching the stream watching the oh, yeah. river yeah, yeah, sure. you, you yeah. already have it there uh, i heard a buddhist teacher talk about either him or one of his pupils met this old woman in a park and she was every day they saw, they were going to park every day and they saw this old woman was just sitting there on a bench just staring into space you know totally spaced out <laughs> so eventually they got in a conversation and said to her you know what are you doing what, what's what's going on and the woman said oh i don't know just one day uh one day my mind just got big so every day i've been coming here and just enjoying looking at the birds and the trees and whatever that was her description her mind just suddenly got big it's the same thing i'm describing yeah. it's that you're you're You've transcended that old, tight, limited version of yourself, which was like a self-referential thing going on inside your head, like spatially inside your head. Uh, and then it just becomes that you're just yourself as this thing going on around you. So it's not like, I mean, I don't think I am the computer screen and the the wall and things around me. You know, I'm not like mad. But I also don't think they're separate because my awareness of those things is part of what I am. Mm. You know, that is the stream of me. So like, but you know, I don't think I'm one with everything like that because that's, I have this stream of experiences. You have your stream of experiences, Mm. but they're not separate. The streams aren't separate in some mysterious way for us. And the whole left brain, right brain thing is the right hemisphere way understands that those connections and that wholeness that can't be put into words. That's kind of the point. It's pre-verbal. Whereas the left brain is unpacking it and trying to make it verbal as a tool, probably evolved as a tool, as a like a literal tool of the brain, or maybe I, I don't know. Um, and then we just got stuck in that rather than it being the middle stage of a process, we just it became an end in itself. Hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of guys online, I've seen people like uh, particular religious types. Um, and I just want to clarify a few things because this kind of experience often gets tied up with demons and supernatural evil and various other things that really trigger me. But there's there's nothing inherently... Uh, so, so I think that they have a wrong conception of what we're talking about. And I hope this little discussion has maybe clarified what we mean. But a lot of people 
look at this kind of work and they're like, well, I mean, my sense of self is real and eternal. And uh, if I lose it, then everything is over and I'm going to go to hell and get stabbed with fucking pitchforks or whatever other shit these people believe in. Um, but it's not so, so it's not correct because in a way, I guess what we're saying is the thing that you think is there is not really actually there in the way that you think it is. And that once you uh, realize that, it's not like you disappear to some Deva realm or something like that, or maybe some people do, I don't know, but I certainly haven't. You're still, for all intents and purposes, still there. It's just that you are not, as, as Kevin was saying, you're not contracted. Like there's a contraction associated with being a hardcore obsessed self in the body. Contraction, as he was saying, is concentrated between the eyes in a lot of people definitely was for me as well in other cultures i believe that they're centered in other places i've heard don't know if that's true or not but it's it's more a case of not destroying something that's there or something that's holy and stable and eternal it's more just that you're just noticing that what you think it is is probably incorrect it's probably a bit of a mirage and that actually the benefit there are more benefits to that than there aren't and i'm not saying that people can't have negative experiences surrounding this because i've heard that they can you know some people may be somewhat crazy and they may freak out or just fucking not be able to handle the experience fair enough there are probably some dangers associated with this but um overall um i think that it's just a positive experience and life becomes much easier to take and that things become less personal, which is a good thing, not a bad thing. And as Kevin was saying, it frees up a ton of energy, like all this energy that you had contracted physiologically that, you know, I'm fucking behind my eyes, man. Like I've got to argue with all these people online. I've got to, you know, go through life being aggressive and just all this stuff. This is, this is energy that's kind of bound up. It's, it's, bound up in sustaining this kind of illusion in your physiology and that once you you just relax into it and you just let it go and and when you truly see it ironically that frees up a ton of energy that you can use for activities for yourself <laughs> ironically so there's nothing evil there's nothing nothing devilish there's nothing like hellish or just all the other weird shit that I see people talk about online. It is mostly a fairly positive experience, almost unanimously positive uh, with all the people I've met that have experienced something similar with a few exceptions. You're, you're meaning people though have made progress though, aren't you? You're, you're, you've got somewhere with it, not people who are still struggling with it. Of course. People in the start could be, of course. I could think be, it could be very negative and make them go mad. It could go uh, mad for a few people. You know, the thing is, though, I, I think you, this is a whole other thing. Once it happens, you, it's incontrovertibly better than the way before. Incontrovertibly. You would never go back to the way before. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't argue with it. It's, it's important to find a good teacher. That's all I'm going to say. You need to find someone that has some idea of, of what the experience is and can guide you through it. Because, yeah, you're right, Kevin. You could, well, I did. I spent 15 years sitting on a fucking couch. <laughs> Not going crazy, but but not getting it either. Just wasting my time. 
and uh, you know a good teacher probably could have really not explained it to me but probably got me there fairly quickly um actually um but it's one of the shortcomings you know, you get stories of the guru who like yeah. the the guru who just his presence with the person yeah makes yeah, yeah. the person have an awakening and stuff like i Punjab, think that is a kind of um could but, probably be measured in left brain right brain terms if you had the equipment at that point in time no doubt no because doubt. yeah you're if somebody is more right brain dominant around you you demonstrate this obviously but i think you're probably depending on many other factors you would be influenced into that too hypnosis is probably part of this a big thing that will be going on in hypnosis and you're the you know it's infecting the person beside you uh and also left hemisphere dominant stuff totally affects you know if people start talking about things and everything's a machine you just automatically get drawn into that and you start thinking about things humans as a machine and you're you're the left is all is on its way um so the person around you can affect you so i think maybe what's going on with those guru types sometimes is the right person the right moment they can snap them their presence can snap them into the right hemisphere their brain and the right hemisphere way of looking at things yeah yeah uh which uh is you know from uh it it snaps them into right hemisphere way of seeing things that isn't just for a a few moments it actually stays it's like a new structure of the way their mind works. <clears throat> and, you know, the spiritual co- terms for that would be awakening, enlightenment, or f- first, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Self-realization, whatever. Um, it's just a different way of talking about the same thing. So you could put this all into brain terms. The problem is the people who want to put these things into brain terms tend to be very left <laughs> hemisphere dominant mm. and not into this kind of stuff. So, again, you're at that kind of – you have to – that middle way between the two extremes, which is already a certain type of brain is like that. Yeah. This is something I've noticed. You're already, people are already like this. So they're not, a lot of people aren't, or most people just aren't. And it's really hard for them to have to keep two conflicting things on the go together in their mind and mm. create a third thing out of them. That's, that's um, useful and uh, true for them. It's because they, uh, they can't shut up about themselves silence is the key i find um just not thinking about things too much because you know the, i was thinking about this the the other day i don't know i spent long times in long periods in silence and then other long periods talking about myself constantly yeah, like, uh, yeah these yeah. podcasts yeah 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 well uh, you know that's the purpose of what we're doing but i guess you know in terms of day-to-day living really all of this is just about living well um and you just need to be happy and um engaged in the moment so i'm just talking about like how this would would look for example or how maybe it looks for me so 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 i so the meditative state that i described before about just kind of resting into awareness um i try to run that most of my day so even if i'm uh, in a corporate meeting or um doing a spreadsheet whatever it is i i still find that 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 type of awareness is always available even if i need to do something that you would consider to be left brain centric and it's not necessarily easy 
but it it is nevertheless i think possible and i've gotten better at it over the years as as my practice with that has deepened so so that might give people some sort of notion about what what it could be like um on the other hand you know i I rarely even think about myself. Sometimes like when I think about what I used to be like and just how I would run narratives about myself constantly. Um, these days, I think I'm a bit of an idiot. Like I think I'm a peasant or something like that because I just kind of go and do things now. Whereas before I constantly would be thinking and, you know, what about this theory? And, you know, what about this book that I just read and all this different stuff? I'd much rather just go for a surf in the morning and just look at the sun. <laughs> and it, it's been an interesting 180 degree turn in many ways um, that, uh, you know, powering, powering down the self, selfdom, doing all the physiological work has in many ways just allowed me or, or accentuated my enjoyment of life immensely compared to what it used to be like when I was a a theory cell and a word cell. So it's it's really <laughs> it's really just allowed me to just live happily. Like really yeah, really happily. And people forget about made, that. I They're, also found be- I've got better reasoning. Like my reasoning yeah. skills improved, which I didn't try to do directly. It just because I cleared up a lot of this energy and time wasting stuff. Yeah. You can just think more clearly. So you can do the left hemisphere type stuff better because you're have a better functioning relationship between the two halves. It's more focused, or, right? Yeah. It's like now yeah. we're going to do this. This is So um, it's not like you become stu- see a mistake I made, which I see a lot of people making now, especially with the fans of the McGillchris book, is everyone goes so into practices that are more right brained or embodiment style of things. Hmm that you can end up kind of stupefying yourself. And for me, I stopped like reading for, not that there's anything wrong with not reading, but I, yeah. I stopped, I used to read a lot. Then I stopped reading for a while because I was, I was just so desperate to get away from all that left brain word stuff mm. that I actually lost a lot of time and things where I could have been training and understanding some useful things for me now. Uh, but I just felt the need to swing my own pendulum so far the other direction. Yeah. So I don't think that's necessary. I don't think you have to, sit in your pants in the side of a mountain uh being spaced out all the time unless you know for whatever reason uh i don't think that's using your i don't think that's being a full human yeah Uh, that will really annoy some people i understand that they think those some of those types of people are even are superhuman or whatever but i think you there's two sides of the brain there's two ways of knowing the world you it's clearly obvious that we're meant to be doing both they're McGilchrist is a compelling case that there's a certain relationship between those two things that is better than the other, and I agree. And uh, I'm happier since my life is more aligned with that way of of, um, living than it was the way before. Mm.